0: Welcome back to Cause Talk Radio, another true story from True Story FM. I'm your host, Megan Strand with Engage for Good. You can find full show notes and additional resources for today's episode at engageforgood.com. According to the Brookings Institution, food insecurity has increased 460 percent since the pandemic began. With this concerning statistic in mind, rideshare company Lyft made some critical pivots to leverage their network of drivers, strategic partnerships, and impact focus to help serve the most vulnerable communities. In this episode of Cause Talk Radio, I talk to Lisa Boyd, Director of Social Impact for Lyft, about what they're doing to increase access to transportation to those who need it, including pivoting their grocery access program in partnership with MasterCard and their jobs access program in partnership with United Way and Goodwill, as well as hyper-local nonprofit partners. We talk about how Lyft measures outcomes, not just outputs, as well as how the company approaches the need for short-term versus continuous transportation. And of course, we also touch on how Lyft is supporting communities of color, including their voting access program with partners like Urban League and Black Women's Roundtable, as well as others. Well, hello, Lisa Boyd. Welcome to Cause Talk Radio. Hey Megan, thanks so much for having me. I don't know that I've ever had you on the podcast. I feel like we've had a lot of conversations, but it's nice to actually formally get you on to talk about some of the amazing work that Lyft is doing in the social impact space. Yes, absolutely. Well, you guys always have something new going on, and that is certainly the case right now. But um, before we get into what's going on now, can you give us a little bit of background? So even before COVID hit, Lyft had an initiative called Lyft Ups Grocery Access Program. So can you Tell us what that is and why and how Lyft decided to start helping people get access to fresh foods. Absolutely. And actually, I'll take one step back from there. Our Lyft
1: Up program across the board is our comprehensive effort to help increase access to transportation for low-income communities and those in need. And so our grocery access program is is part of that broader Lyft Up initiative. And it's really focused on how we're supporting uh, individuals who live in food insecure areas to get to and from the grocery store to be able to access healthy foods. So we launched it uh, probably almost two years ago now, together with Martha's Table in Washington, DC, who's a hyper-local partner that our local team had identified there. And they had just expressed need to get their community to and from the grocery store. So we launched a program with them. And then it took off. We immediately heard extremely positive feedback from both the Martha's Table participants, um, as well as the organization. And we also saw kind of huge demand coming in through the door. Organizations were reaching out and saying that they also had this need, so it quickly scaled to dozens of other markets and has been a a key staple of our lift up program since then
0: that's fantastic and we should I should also just give your company major kudos because you know as kind of a Hot emerging brand. You've done a lot of work around making your social impact programs really strategic by leveraging you, what you do best, which is transportation. But you found all sorts of really interesting ways to leverage transportation. And I think that's um, just an, a perfect example of that. So thank you for sharing that. Um, when it came to COVID, I'm sure that impacted you guys just a little bit. But how did you leverage that program in new ways? Yeah, COVID very much changed the food space. Uh,
1: Brookings actually has noted that food insecurity has increased 460% since the pandemic started. And it looks very different. So we used to focus our grocery access program on getting people to grocery stores. And actually now we've changed to really focus on getting food to people. In particular, you have certain communities like seniors and families whose children usually rely on free and reduced lunch at school but are currently out of school, these communities had this huge, overnight really had this huge need for food delivery and and bringing that right to their doorstep. So we quickly pivoted um, and launched actually a new internal delivery uh, opportunity where uh, Lyft is really focused on essential deliveries across the board, but my team was focused on getting food to people in need. So we partnered up with Ten local organizations and local governments across the country to deliver deliver meals to these communities in need. We worked with groups like Self-Help for the Elderly in the San Francisco area, who delivered over 100,000 meals to date. Uh, El Pasoans Fighting Hunger, uh, the food bank in El Paso, we've delivered over a million meals there. And the whole program to date has delivered almost 2 million meals, which we're really, really proud of.
0: So you also have a partnership with MasterCard to help fund some of these programs. So can you tell us what that's all about? Lyft has had a long-term partnership with MasterCard on the business side.
1: And when COVID hit, we started having more conversations with them about our values alignment and about our mutual opportunity to make an impact. So MasterCard has been a fantastic partner and came in to help actually fund all of those delivery programs that I was just talking about and help us get that initiative off the ground. So they are a strategic partner who has really helped us to amplify and scale the impact of what we have, uh, what we've already started with our Lift Up program. So Lift is continuously committed to making an impact in our communities, but obviously we have finite resources and the needs are really endless. We, we cannot come anywhere near, near the, uh, the scale of need especially right now around food insecurity. And so MasterCard has jumped in to, to help us uh, increase the the breadth and depth of the work that we're doing.
0: Let's go back to the grocery access program just for a minute. I'm, I'm curious to know how this works. Are you just relying on your partners on the ground to say, hey, Sally in this house needs you know a sandwich or whatever? Or are people actually using the Lyft app to request meals? That's a great question.
1: All of our lift-up programs are very reliant on nonprofit partnerships and government partnerships, but we really look at those third parties to help us identify those who have those needs and to help us actually serve them effectively. So every one of our programs has a different suite of partners that we work with, and we select those very strategically based off of their, you know, boots on the ground, understanding needs of the community. So we select those nonprofit or government partners, and uh, they are doing the work in the community themselves. So in the case of the food access and specifically delivery, that one's even more complex because we often have a local partner who is actually sourcing the list of community members who are in need of support and actually managing who's getting food at what time, uh, at what address, et cetera. But then you also have the food creation. So in uh, Los Angeles, for example, we worked with the LA District C- Council 8, and we did some great delivery work there that partnered with local, uh, local restaurants to actually make those meals. So we we're coordinating with the government to find the people and with local restaurants who are actually making that food. So it looks a little bit different in every circumstance, but we do heavily rely on those third parties. We are Nobody's ordering food directly through our
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And there's so many little teeny logistics, like once you actually peek behind the curtain. So thank you for absolutely shining a little bit of light on that for us. So and then there's also the driver piece. Can you tell us just briefly what is what's the Lift Up Community Driver Task Force? Absolutely.
1: When COVID hit, we, as I alluded to before, saw a huge change in need. And we're really starting to dive into the essential delivery space in particular. So, we reached out to our community of drivers across the country and asked them who would be interested in helping us to kind of pilot and get these programs off the ground, particularly uh, helping do deliveries for social impact oriented needs. And so, we had over 120,000 drivers across the country sign up um, in a very short period of time, right when COVID hit. And we've been tapping into those drivers to start as well as more across the country as the uh, crisis continues to be able to do these community. Um, impact deliveries and rides. It is worth noting that the drivers get paid in full for every ride or delivery that they do. They've just raised their hand to, to be part of these initiatives as we pilot and scale them.
0: Yeah. And thank you for pointing that out because, you know, so much of this pandemic and the impact it's having is economic. So if you're a Lyft driver, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say there's not as many people hailing rides as there were in the past. But driving groceries or meals is not the same as driving people. So I think it's great that you were able to, you know. Ask your community of drivers if they were interested. Give them another way to generate income for themselves and their families. So I want to talk a little bit about your community partners because every time I turn around, I see more and more community partners that Lyft has. And they're not like giant national nonprofits I've heard of, right? So a lot of them are very hyper-local. So what types of organizations do you typically partner with? How are you working with them to meet the needs that this lovely pandemic has served and delivered for all of us?
1: Both during the pandemic and outside of this, you know, pre-COVID, we were doing this as well. We really think about partnerships at kind of two different levels. We have national partners, like we just recently relaunched uh, and scaled up our jobs access program which helps people get to and from job interviews job trainings and the first few weeks of their work two of our major partners on that program are united way and goodwill obviously you know very household names national scale help us execute in 20 markets across the country absolutely but in addition you know those organizations don't always have uh, coverage everywhere or they aren't Necessarily focused on exactly what is relevant in every city, um, and, and local partners can help us to to extend that work and further localize it. And so we also have our local teams within Lyft who are saying, you know, in addition to those national partnerships that we have built and the scale that we have across the country, where might we be able to find hyper local partners that do something slightly different or slightly more nuanced to the community and we can you know add those in addition to the national partners that we have. So the reason why you're seeing so many partners is because we are thinking both national and local, and because we have various different programs and those sectors look very different. So, for example, jobs access, we have those major national partners, whereas our grocery access program has actually historically been very focused on hyper-local partners because. Food access in particular tends to be uh, super, super local in kind of the context and the needs. And so different partnerships look different depending on the program that we're doing because we really look at a clean slate with any new program that we're launching and say, who could the most effective partners be that we could
0: work with on this program? Yeah, that makes sense and thank you for explaining that. And I didn't mean to say that you don't have natural national partners. I'm just impressed <laughs> no, by no, like, the breadth and depth of partnerships that you have. So. Had to give some love to <laughs> no, some no, our Thank you for. Thank you for so, clarifying. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um so Lisa, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the metrics that you're tracking over the course of the pandemic as it relates to impact.
1: Absolutely. So as I think many, you know, nonprofits and uh, social impact professionals do, we're thinking about both the out and the outcomes of the work that we're doing. So the outputs being the kind of immediate uh, results of our work, and that's the easy stuff to measure. So we're always tracking the number of rides we've provided both you know, per program like grocery or jobs um, and these access programs also per partner, you know which partners are, are um, using what types of rides at what scale. We're also deli- uh, obviously now measuring the number of meals delivered. And that is a big uh, a metric that we're leaning into. But beyond that, we are also cognizant that meals delivered does not always equate to increased health health outcomes, or uh, you know, brides to job interviews do not necessarily equate to j- jobs landed. And so, we are thinking together with our nonprofit partners and third party uh, outside research groups always about how we can build research into the work that we're doing to measure the actual out. Comes of the work to ensure that we are not just looking at uh, what we've accomplished right now, but making sure that we our assumptions of the outcomes of that work are actually accurate.
0: Yeah, and thank you for that um, distinction between outputs and outcomes because that's a huge big deal. So. Um... Thank you for sharing all of that. Well, what would you say to people who say, well, you know, Lyft's business is probably not doing that great right now because so many of us are just stuck at home. How are you still able to do good in the world when your own core business is struggling?
1: Lyft's mission statement, like our company mission statement, not our social impact mission statement, is to improve people's lives with the world's best transportation. So everything we do is about improving lives and helping to provide better transportation access for all. And we it's, it's really baked into our DNA. So it's not something that could just be shed <laughs> if the economy isn't doing well. It's, it's really baked in. So uh, that really means that our team and the impact work that we're doing, it will always continue. And importantly, it's worth noting that just because kind of our our philanthropic work happens doesn't mean that there's not really impactful social impact work happening across the company, even on the kind of paid business side. So for example, we do millions of healthcare rides and we're providing rides, you know, life-saving rides for people to get to dialysis appointments, for example. And so that work continues and even in a a paid way um, throughout the pandemic and is more important than ever. So I think it's just really, really core to our DNA. So it will never disappear for a company like Lyft.
0: Well, you've just kind of alluded to this a little bit, but I think people have the assumption that, oh, Lyft's social impact programs or um, do-good programs are all free, like you've just referenced. But I think it's it has been really interesting for me to watch kind of how you guys have evolved this. Um, and more than a lot of companies I've seen, you've really made partnerships work in that, like you just said, not all of your rides that you're providing are free. So can you talk a little bit more about that structure and how, like what's, where's the line between philanthropy and social impact and partnership? Like what's the line between paid, paid, Rides that you're providing for free, or things that you're charging people for—like, um, is there a sliding scale? Is it one or the other? Like, how how do how do you approach all of that? So, I think there's kind of d- two sides to your question. W- one
1: is the the partnerships side, and that's kind of what is Lyft paying for versus an external entity is paying for. And as I referenced before, you know, not unique to Lyft, every entity has finite resources. And these problems that we're talking about are massive systemic problems. So by partnering together with other groups, by aligning our efforts, by thinking about how the work that we're doing might complement a nonprofit or a for-profit or a public entity, we're making collective impact together and we can all be stronger together. So we're always thinking about you know partnerships can help us increase our impact across the board. And then the other side is kind of what we do or do not charge for in terms of the end consumer. And with that, we we really think, again, going back to what I was saying before about partners, our programs are not one size fits all. So our use cases and how we're providing transportation to people does not look the same uh, for every program. So with our programs, we're providing kind of One-time support at a really core moment, like jobs access, for example, where we're helping people get to and from a job interview or a short-term job training or, you know, the first week or two of work until they're able to get a paycheck in their pocket. That short-term transportation, we tend to do for free because it's a very important, um, critical moment in time that we can make an impact on an individual's life. Whereas we have other programs like our grocery access program, where we're providing consistent transportation for a person or family over an extended period of time, many months. In those circumstances, it's actually more like how they would use public transit or uh, another form of transportation. So with our grocery access program, for example, uh, we many of those programs were subsidized down to $2 or $2.50 to be equivalent with public transit. Because that's something that people are already kind of in the groove of doing is, you know, paying to get to and from the grocery store. And so we're just uh, pro- making it consistent with, with other forms of transportation that they might have access to. Another similar version of that is we have a, across our bike share systems, we have usually a $5 a month or a $5 a year uh, bike share for all pass, which is a low income bike share access program that allows people who are on federal, state, or local assistance programs to qualify for this discounted bike share membership. Again, we're asking people to pay a small amount for that, but it's because it's kind of more consistent usage. So we really think about the difference between one-off versus consistent usage and how that kind of plays into the way that people think about spending, um, and we, we build our programs off of that.
0: Well, while I have you, I would love to hear a little bit more about what Lyft is doing as it relates to racial justice issues and social justice issues. Can you share a little bit about what Lyft is doing and what you are already doing, what you plan to do to support people of color? Yes.
1: So we have been supporting communities of color for years through all of these Lyft Up programs, through our grocery access and our jobs access program, through our voting access program, uh, which we actually just relaunched earlier this week. We have done it for multiple elections, but again, this year, we'll be providing not only um, discount fifty uh, percent off discount codes to the broader public all across the country, but also providing free rides to communities who have traditionally had challenges getting to the polls. Programs like that, we have run together with Urban League, and um, this year we've added black women's Roundtable to the list for voting access. So there's work that we have consistently done that has supported. Uh, Black communities and broader communities of color. In addition, we have, over the last few months, really thought about how we can continue that investment and make it deeper in in the way that we are thinking about that, the work that we're doing to support communities of color. And so most recently, we launched our Access Alliance initiative, which includes major national partners like Urban League, who has been a long-standing partner, uh, NAACP, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, the National Bail Fund Network, National Action Network, et cetera. And we have brought together these partners to collectively commit to donating 1.5 million rides over the next five years to support communities of color explicitly. And the next step in that is working together with these partners to figure out what are these specific transportation use cases where we can make an impact on systemic racism. So what aspects of criminal justice reform or housing access you know, might be directly affected by systemic racism, and that transportation might have an impact on. And so that is the work that we're continuing to do, and we're really excited to dive deeper in with these partners to figure out how we can you know, support them in the immediate term with all of the effects of COVID, but also in the long term with kind of these broader injustices.
0: That's fantastic. Well, I figured you guys were doing good works and I thought I would just ask while I have you. So anything else in the works at Lyft that you can share with our listeners? Anything coming up we should be watching for? Um, You just referenced this voting thing, which I'm definitely going to be checking out. Something I'm really interested in what everyone's doing around the election, but anything else? Yeah. As I mentioned, we just kind of relaunched and scaled up our jobs access program. And we actually just
1: launched for the first time an online hub where people can come to directly access to either give help or get help. So if you have the means and you're able to, you can donate a ride to somebody else to help them get to a job interview or a job training. And if you're in need of support, you can go there to get connected with one of our local partners through United Way or Goodwill and to get uh, a ride, as well as additional kind of wraparound services and support in the job seeking process through those partners. So we're really, really excited about that. Definitely um, head over to our website, uh, lift.com slash lift up, and you can find out more on that front, as well as our voting access work, which I alluded to, which we're very excited over the next few months to make sure that we're getting, uh, reminding our riders and drivers to register and to make a plan to vote, um, and actually helping people all across the country get to the polls on election day, which we've gotten this question a bit, so I will just say, you know, although there are many states who have moved to vote by mail, there are many states who have not. And there's a shortage of poll workers this year, which means that there might be less poll sites than usual. And so transportation is
0: still very, very important in this election, which is why we're excited to continue that
1: voting access work.
0: Perfect. And we will include that link in the show notes, which you can find at engageforgood.com. Lisa Boyd, thank you so, so much for joining me on this episode of Cause Talk Radio to talk a little bit more about your fantastic social impact works in the world. And thank you for all the good you're doing. Thanks so much for having me.